Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. Nobody act black and then go home and be white. I got two pistols and a pit bull. Me. That's all I need. It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. You think Harriet Tubman was walking around with a fucking nice shiny fucking dress on with a fucking crown on her head when she was taking slaves to freedom? And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. And we are back with the Afrocentric Podcast. Happy Black History Month to my niggas. Yeah, so happy. From see to shine and see you niggas is free. I love that for y'all. Um, we are starting our Black History Month series. The title of this series is The Subtle Art of Dismantling White Supremacy. I'm ecstatic simply because when people have Black History Month programs, they want to throw fun facts at your ass. This shit will not be fun for the white hearted, okay? <laughs> I'm so excited. Now, for this first episode, we have the incomparable the intelligent wrist speak to the people wrist yo 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 what's up afrocentric podcast it's your girl wrist we are so excited to have you we're going to be talking about white supremacy white supremacy culture some of the characteristics of white supremacy and we're going to break them down as well as provide some examples for you guys on ways to combat this illness because that's really what it is at the end of the day do you have anything before we jump into this episode Telling you, consciousness over coochie, politics over punani. I keep telling y'all that. Consciousness comes before coochie. Now that I can agree with. <laughs> let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Ooh. Ooh. Damn, damn. 
Okay, Riz. Um, for those who do not know, here at the Afrocentric Podcast, we play a lovely game. It is called Fight, Marry, Kill, African American Edition. Okay. So this game puts a twist on the classic fuck, marry, kill concept. And what I'm going to do is provide you with a few household names. And you're going to have to figure out who you want to fight, who you want to marry, and who you want to lay down the rest. Okay? So Riz, fight, marry, kill. Kodak Black, Cat Williams, Ari Lennox. Uh, all right. Mm. One eternity later. That's a good win, shit. All right, let's start like this. I'm a, I'm a fight cat, just cause I feel like that shit would be funny. It would be <laughs> hilarious. Can I help you, player? No. No. Well, this ain't the baby guy. Get yeah, no, Oh, this bullshit. I'm in between a pimp and a hard place. <sighs> Donna, man down. 11:30. Pimp in distress. Him and all 12 inches of his Man, hair, baby. What? What? You come run them gnarled fingers. My hair is 19 inches long and I have no perm. You don't. Oops. Oh, that's not a perm. No, it is not. Nice lady. That's come, natural. come run, come run one of your gnarled fingers. While you on air. So they can hear you laugh. Come on, come on. Let me come over here. No, no, no. That's not how that works. Oh, okay. Well then stay over there. Don't worry, ain't nobody putting their hands through yours. That's right. They don't have to. Uh -huh. I don't want them to. Get on out of here. You okay? <laughs> Only one of our hands moving while we talk. Are you alright this morning? But yeah, uh, fight cat, uh, marry Ari, cause God, that's a beautiful. Have you seen Ari going in on Joe Budden lately? No, I I don't know what Joe Budden's obsession is with me, but what I will say is that somebody needs to tell him to stop touching them dogs. What? Can y'all let him know that? Tell him to stop touching them dogs. Because <laughs> I don't understand why he's so obsessed. Like, why are you so obsessed? And why would you touching them dogs? <laughs> what? Like, you're weird. He's weird and he's gross. He has smoke mouth. He's disgusting. And he's a failure, like Drake said. Like everything I do, there's a million people to talk about in life. Like I can never just express what's going on with me without him coming from behind. I don't know the the trash, the trash, the landfill that he lives in. She said that Joe Budden be um doing essay to his dogs. What? Yeah, they said that Joe Budden like to do a little stress relief on his dogs, allegedly. You know. No, I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. And what's the last one you said? Kodak Black. Yeah, kill his ass. Now, just, why you? Just because, I mean. He not a real person. I mean, it ain't even that. It's just, I don't really have no liking toward him, so I don't, he ain't got to be here, honestly. That's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> the nigga ain't got to be here. Well, all righty. Final list. Fight, marry, kill. Fight, Cat Williams, you want to kill Kodak Black, and we're going to marry Ari Lennox and take all her money. 
Yeah. And make her serenade us. I was just about to say, sing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want your hands around my throat. All right. Well, thank you so much for playing America's favorite game, Fight, Mary Kill. These are the ABCs of white supremacy. They believe they're better than everyone else, so they don't have to respect anyone. The first letter of the white supremacy alphabet is A, and that stands for arrogant. Racism is arrogant. It does not respect the culture or the life of non-Caucasian peoples. White supremacy is arrogant. Letter B, white supremacy is brutal. It's brutal. They will create diseases to get rid of you. They will drop bombs on you. They will starve you. They will murder you in the hospital. I remember Queen Mother Fannie Lou Hamer rest in paradise. Queen Mother Fannie Lou Hamer said in Sunflower County, Mississippi. Queen Mother Fannie Lou Hamer said in Sunflower County, Mississippi. Black women who went into the hospital to have a baby, 90% of them were sterilized without their knowledge. White supremacy is brutal. Letter C, white supremacy is calculating. Oh my goodness, they are calculating. They study everything. White supremacy is very calculating. They study everything. They will study hip hop and figure out how to use it to feed mass incarceration. They will study the black male female relationship crisis and use YouTube to exploit the black male-female relationship crisis. They will study how to use the rainbow gang against the black community. White supremacy is calculating. They are very strategic, very evaluative, very thoughtful, great analytical skills. White supremacy is calculating. They calculate everything. They measure a hundred times to cut your black head off once. They will measure how to destroy black people a hundred times until they get it right. And then they'll destroy us all in one blow, crack cocaine. The letter D in the white supremacy alphabet, domination and dishonesty. Domination, white people do not believe in equality. I don't know why you got black folks still out here talking about our country. There's no such thing as our country when you're dealing with white supremacy. There's no such thing as our country when you're dealing with white supremacy. The letter D is for domination. They dominate. They tell you what to do. White supremacy, dominate. They make up the rules. They decide how it's going to be done. They don't believe in no damn democracy. They believe in domination. What is white supremacy? All right. Good question. So um, honestly, I think that white supremacy, first off, it's a society that we still live in and we have lived in it for the past trillion years, however long we've been here. Right. Um, I believe that white supremacy, um, it's an idea. It controls all institutes and systems and in life, including like educational system, healthcare system, careers, government justice system and the media shit um and i think the goal of white supremacy is to keyword dominate and to have authority over any person of color um they when i say they i mean white people of course um they want to what's the word ethnically cleanse 
spaces and try to spread the belief that white culture and genes are superior. That is a very beautiful and elegant explanation and I appreciate that. Now for those for the niggas in the back who didn't catch on to it, white supremacy basically is this belief that white people are superior to those of other races, leading to systemic oppression and the domination of non-white individuals. Now, this ideology is not only associated with explicit violence, but also with the perpetuation of inequalities in political, historical, and industrial context. I think that it is so important to place an emphasis on the systemic and the system impact of white supremacy. And you touched on it. You were talking about the different types of um, amenities within a community. So um, you talked about the school system. You talked about music. You talked about um, careers, healthcare, all these different things. And I think it's so important to understand that when we're talking about white supremacy, the understanding that it runs so fucking deep. It has his claws in everything. So it is a perpetuation of this idea that started um, after the Christian revolution, essentially white people, um, especially through the idea and the birth of eugenics, they believed that they were superior. And what they did was they tried to prove it through science, especially after like for a long time, they used religion as a justification to annihilate groups of people. And what happened was is that, you know, you can't identify a person based off of religion. Like I can't look at you and be like, yeah, bitch. You look a little Hindu. Right. I'm going to see what this Hindu and this Glock do too. <laughs> no, you can't do that. But I can look at you based off your skin color and say, you black, you probably slower than me. Right. I'm probably more intelligent than you. Then I have more access to technology. So, you know, God ordained me to put me in this higher position. You know, you have any thoughts? All I got to say, white supremacy is again I still believe that it is something that is instilled in everyday life whether like little little things we'll get into that like throughout the interview Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's something that I don't want to say we can't get rid of because we can definitely get rid of it I don't think we can get rid of it well it's gonna take time it's gonna take a a cleansing yeah very much so like a, a deep cleansing um but it's, it's definitely still here. It's still around. It's going to be around. Well, let me ask you this question. What is your relationship with white supremacy and how has it impacted you? So my relationship with white supremacy, um, oh, goodness, uh, from a very early age. Take your time. Let the <laughs> Lord use you. From a very early age, it has impacted me uh, indirectly and directly. Hell, so for those who don't know, I grew up in a family with two civil rights activists. Uh, my great grandfather Alfred Tup Holmes he integrated white golf courses in Georgia um, in the '40s and early '50s, and then my grandfather Hamilton E. Holmes he's most um, known for integrating the University of Georgia and Emory School of Medicine. And so um, with that, there has been a lot of pressure, especially 
again, talking about professionalism, we'll get to that in a minute, but um, always having an image to uphold. Yes. Yes. Now, that is the politics of respectability Mm -hmm. and that is an offshoot from white supremacy because black people are trying to integrate into Mm -hmm. white culture so they adapted the politics of respectability as a way to gain respect from white peers but we can recognize the fact that it did not work and it's still not working so please continue no you're good so um basically just saying that it has impacted me from a very early age um i've always had to look a certain way act a certain way talk a certain way um and as a kid i thought that's how it was supposed to be but um as i've gotten older i realized what the hell like professionalism how you gonna tell me what's professional for me like um Again, we'll get into that, the next question, but um, it has definitely impacted me. It's something that I'm still unraveling to this day. Mm. Yep. So. And I think that is very touching that um, for, can you, do you mind telling the listening audience about like your sexual orientation and mm-hmm. how you identify and stuff? Because I feel like that puts another layer and yep. depth into like the oppression felt from white supremacy so um for those who don't know a lot of people do though um i identify i'm a lesbian i'm a black lesbian a masculine presenting lesbian at that so that also has had a lot of implications um dealing with the professionalism you know they say uh, make sure your hair is flat iron. Make sure that, you know, you look a certain way. Again, now I have locks. Mm-hmm. I have my head shaved. Like, I'm not trying to fall into this category that they want me to be, which falls under the white supremacist ideology. So I think that it's so cool to be able to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, because you are an intellectual being also because as the fact that you identify as a masculine presenting lesbian you live so deep on the intersection that white supremacy would definitely impact you in a way that those who are white men or those who are gay men someone who is a cis heterosexual woman will never be able to understand unless they walked in your shoes so i think that that really does tie you to this conversation because it's not just like a talked about or something you learned about it's a lived experience yeah Yeah. so i think that um we gonna talk about different ways in order to dismantle it very subtly very we're gonna sneak up on them like a thief in the night (laughs) that's what you know what the bible say the devil come to kill steal and destroy how have the characteristics of white supremacy such as professionalism perfectionism and a sense of urgency contributed to systemic inequality and injustice okay so first thing i think that first and foremost perfectionism it is a plague to mental health and what i mean by that is it it creates intimidation in people it creates fear um and it creates an image that a lot of people want and don't need. Um, I believe that professional per, perfectionism, I'm sorry, 
I believe that perfectionism is rooted in the judgment of other people. It means to be be one way or that it's wrong and quote unquote correct. Like I think that is a word that is so subjective. Um, and it means that you have to look like the white person or that it's wrong. Um, so many rules that have also been put into place to fall under the white supremacist ideology. Like, who are you to tell me that I can't wear my locks to work or that like my hair has to be a certain way at work? Um, I don't know if you've heard, but like so many people, I think a guy maybe like a year ago or so, like he got, um, he was forced to cut off his locks to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I thought that something like that was just- A great example of perfectionism. Right, exactly. Like why do I have to fall into a certain category just to be able to work and provide for my family? You know what I'm saying? I do. And I feel like there's a perfect leeway mm -hmm. um, specifically. Now, just to clarify, there are 15 different characteristics of white supremacy and the first one is perfectionism yep. mm -hmm. and i feel like perfectionism is a great example of how white supremacy can seep into your day-to-day -day life and you don't realize that it's white supremacy and you don't realize how much it affects you like a person who identifies as a, a perfectionist mm -hmm. like you can't stop until everything is completely done and it looks right to you right. and you don't want to touch it or tweak it that is an example of perfectionism yep, it and it is detrimental just because it puts so much stress mm -hmm. on what you're doing and what it does it points out to you and it's pointing out to other people how inaccurate things are because you know risk if it ain't white it ain't right so if it ain't close to white it'll never be right mm -hmm. and that is so that's sad to see. Yep, very sad. And so um, I guess the perfectionism, like it leads to the sense of urgency, which makes it difficult to have uh, time to be inclusive and to have thoughtful decision making processes. Like how can you do anything productively if you're trying to get it done quickly? This powerful um so the second characteristic is the sense of urgency mm -hmm. and i you know what road rage <laughs> yeah yeah i remember now everybody be wanting to talk about dell 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 don't take no drug do, 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 do. i had to take driver's ed okay and they showed us a little picture motion movie and we learned that there's not really no difference between driving 60 miles per hour and driving 20 miles per hour there's a small time difference but that that sense of urgency you want to get there so bad because you want to be there on time which is a reflection of perfectionism in and of itself it's like who set these standards and this is like it's so deeply rooted into our day-to-day -day life it's almost hard to see mm -hmm. and what it does is it really does enforce this type of white supremacy by funding proposals which propose too much work for too little money by funders who expect too much or another example is um sacrificing potential allies mm -hmm. for quick or highly visible results um a great example of this is sacrificing interests of communities of color in order to win victories for white people yep. so 
we see how negatively it impacts us. So in the next segment, we'll be talking about some of those antidotes um, as a way to combat, combat these issues and byproducts of white supremacy. Today's episode, we're actually going to talk about the tip top, okay? The main one, because this one, a lot of us internalize it. And I say us, collective us, all of us, regardless of your race, class, creed, or color, a lot of us internalize this one. Perfectionism is a plague to this planet, okay? It is a plague to people's mental health. Y'all know I'm a therapist. It's a plague to your mental health as well. And we're going to get into why, okay? Because a lot of us get this at work. We get it at home. We give it to ourselves. We give it to our friends, our family, and our loved ones. And we're going to talk about why that's wrong. Side note, I really do encourage y'all to look this up on your own. It's very valuable information. All jokes aside. Per usual, don't fucking scroll because I saw you doing it. You got to, you almost did it. I'm not playing, don't scroll. Per usual, though, I know y'all don't like to read, so I'm going to read some of the points for you. Okay, so the first point says, little appreciation expressed among people for the work that others are doing, aka people are not going to talk about the work that people are doing on a daily, consistently. And appreciation that is expressed usually directly to those who get most of the credit anyway. Think of the people who, no matter how little they do, <clears throat> TikTok dancers like Addison Ray and stuff, no matter how little work they do in creating these trends and stuff, they still get the credit anyway. That's perfectionism. That's part of it. And part of this example is normally other creators and creatives being told that they should just work harder. That's what the problem is. It's not white supremacy. The second point is a really big one, and it's that it's more common to point out how people or their work is inadequate. Everything can't be negative, 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 okay? That is a trick that white supremacy plays on you. If you're too busy aiming for perfect, that you completely miss the opportunity to look around and see what you've done and build community around that, yeah, it's over. I'm going to skip ahead because I want to focus on this point, but I really encourage y'all to look at this list, really read it, and think of some examples that you may have seen in your real life. Mistakes are seen as personal, i.e. they reflect badly on the person making them as opposed to being seen for what they are. Mistakes. This is often wielded against people who have marginalized identities, especially multiple. This system functions off of picking and choosing who has access and who doesn't. It picks and chooses its victims carefully. You have no reason to be perfect. In fact, striving for it is white supremacist culture. Like another example of this is like a lot of these brands and companies that you see, they push out diversity, equity, inclusion, all this kind of stuff. But do they really know what it means? No, they don't. Exactly. But they do it because they had to be quick and beat, beat everybody to the punch. All this, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff and all this kind of stuff, they have to show that they are showing solidarity. You know? Yeah, and they coming up with those by the products so quickly. Right. It's also, exactly. so that is it's a sense so of urgency plus capitalism, mm -hmm. most definitely. definitely. I would have never looked at it like that. And then we do have Black History Month coming. We, we're in Black History Month, and mm -hmm. I just want to tell y'all, do not go to these big brand stores and buy their merchandise. Buy from a small Black creator yep. so the money can go back into our communities 
ladies. That's all what this all is about. Don't stop that ass at Walmart. Don't stop and don't pick up no Carol's daughter. We don't want no Black Lives Matter sweatshirts. We don't want no mugs with no afros and tapers and fades on the side of it. You leave that shit at home, bitch, and go drink out of a plastic cup like you've been doing for the last 11 months out the year. Don't spend your money with them big white corporations because you are absolutely right. They don't care. They don't. They want to um, make a piece of corn. A piece of chain. <laughs> okay. So let's go over some of these antidotes. Because, again, we are focusing on the combating and the dismantlement of white supremacy. It's one thing to point it out and mm-hmm. to be able to label it and identify it. But we want to eradicate it as much as we can. Okay, so the first antidote antidote is to develop a culture of appreciation. And this is for my rice crackers. Um, That's where the organization can really take time to make sure that people's work and efforts are appreciated. Reese, let me ask you something. Do you think white people have a culture? Oh, my gosh. No. Reason I say that is because they've stolen it from everybody else. Okay. With that mindset i would say that that is their culture what is their culture to steal to steal to kill to manipulate and and to to be funky and take the damn credit for everything too Mm -hmm. that is their culture and it's um it's sad because um like right now you know the white women they've had the clean girl aesthetic it's been in on social media with the slick back buns and the gold jewelry mm-hmm. it's cold outside now so now they're transitioning away from the clean girl aesthetic to mob wife aesthetic oh. and this is this is in their realm okay the mm-hmm. mob wives are the italian women the italians are white i don't know if you know that but yeah. the italy was on europe continent is up there they the black people of the whites right. okay so they upset down call poach at our culture we've been sitting in jail and we've been trying to wait for our husbands to get out of jail taking care of kids and making the pasta so like this is them taking from their own culture and now they starting to feel that sense mm-hmm. of like displacement dishevelment because now they starting to have rifts within their own diaspora okay so the second antidote when it comes to perfectionism is to develop a learning organization where it is expected that everyone will make a mistake and those mistakes offer opportunities for learning. And I've always been saying this. I think that it is so important for us normalizing failure yeah. because we put perfectionism on a pedestal people look at failure and they don't they don't realize it's a part of life and it is something that'll help you grow and move okay Mm -hmm. so like there needs to be a normalization of failures of falling off of um hibernation periods and not just everything has to be perfect or everything is wrong um create an environment where people can recognize the mistakes someone has led to positive results separate the person from the mistake and offer feedback but i think we didn't got past the part where we offering white people feedback i think we just going for their neck first um when it comes to a sense of urgency the antidotes are realistic work plans Leadership which understands that there are things that take longer than anyone expects. Patience. Yes, it's patience, but think about it from their perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm a person, 
who tries to look at things from both perspectives too. Yes, I think that, you know, stuff takes time, but from their point of view, they can't take that long because then if they're not the first person to say we support you, then they look like the bad guy. That's real. That's real. I think when it comes to a sense of urgency, I think that the location that we live in, that is what really hurts white people because we're in again the home of capitalism and then for a long time they was calling our generation the microwave generation because we wanted everything right then and right now but it's some things that you can't get right now and i think people are starting to see that when it comes to like relationships like you are so quick to hop into a relationship but that's not your soulmate so you have to sit down and wait and that's the type of waiting where you don't know when it's gonna happen or if it's going to happen yeah um, the next antidote is learn from past experiences how long things take. I think that's a really good example. Um, be clear about how you will make good decisions in an atmosphere of urgency. So all in all, the characteristics of white supremacy, such as perfectionism, as well as a sense of urgency, have really contributed to systemic inequalities and injustices by establishing norms, as well as standards that truly prioritize certain traits over others. And um, for example, there's an emphasis on perfectionism, and it can devalue work of individuals and lead to a lack of appreciation, while the sense of urgency can result in hasty decision-making and marginalized diverse perspectives. And while I was reading this summary, it really reminded me, you remember when we were in school, like high school, middle school, elementary, there were always kids who were so smart but their stuff would not be aesthetically easy to look at. So, like, you'll have kids um, who have very sloppy handwriting, or you'll have kids who have issues like departmentalizing the items that they have and all their different stuff like that, and you will look at them as if the quality of their work is less than because it's not perfect. But science tells us that a person who has very like ugly handwriting, someone who scribbles when they write, that's a sign of intelligence because their brain is processing information so quickly, their hand can't keep up with it. So they're just scribbling stuff down as they write. But someone who operates under the rule of white supremacy would look at that and be like, they're unintelligent because they can't keep their workspaces neat. So um, yeah, those are my thoughts. There is no reason any of us should have to thrive in a fast-paced environment or work well under pressure. Most of our daily work is not an emergency and our culture of fake urgency is immediacy just to make sure profit for people in the C-suite is burning people out. Stop sending people into fight or flight and expecting them to bend over backwards because you don't know how to plan or manage resources properly. Preach. Amen. Okay. Can I get a finger snap right now, guys? Who's watching snap this or clap? Praise to Danielle because <laughs> she is not lying. The whole nine to five grind, the whole work to you drop, the whole getting up at 5 a.m. and work, work, work immediately. That's not how human beings are supposed to live, okay? Our whole life is not supposed to revolve around our work. We're not supposed to be 
trying to work fast and meet these deadlines and CEOs, all they're doing is sitting in their comfortable offices, doing nothing, going golfing, doing whatever they want to do because they're the CEO and they don't actually have to do the work that we put in, unfortunately. And then they expect us to outwork ourselves and put our company first and don't realize like we're just working because we have to. We're working for that paycheck, okay? Personally, if I'm working for you, I'm going to do the bare minimum, okay? The bare minimum. Unless you're going to incentivize me to do more, then I will. Like, if you're going to say I can leave home an hour early if I get the most tasks done, oh, you best believe I'm about to get all the tasks done. I'm going to be everybody in there, okay? At the end of the day, I think jobs need to understand that they need to start treating employees better. Better benefits, better pay. That's all we need. Just treat us like decent human beings. Now, let's move on to the third and fourth traits of white supremacy. And those traits are defensiveness and prioritizing quantity over quality. So my question to you is, Riz, in what ways do the traits of defensiveness and prioritizing quantity over quality perpetuate white supremacy culture? Okay, um... Let's start off with defensiveness. Um, I think that defensiveness, that's a tool that these white folks use to maintain white supremacy. So what is defensiveness when you think of it? When I think of defensiveness, it means being called out because you're wrong. Like if I if I go up to a white person and say, hey, what you said on TV was not appropriate. That wasn't appropriate. They'll be like, well, like, I thought it was okay. Y'all would be all right. <clears throat> like deflecting. De- yes. You know, deflecting, putting it back on you, putting the blame back on you. You know what? And you know what term goes with this question when it comes to defensiveness? White guilt. Oh, of course. What is white guilt for the niggas in the back? Shit. Guilt? Just like with with anybody who's guilty, like you know you did it, but you trying to make it sound better, you trying to sugarcoat it, make like basically make yourself not sound like the bad guy. And you know what that's a sign of too? Entitlement. Wow. And you know who got a lot of entitlement and audacity? <laughs> white people. <laughs> trying to tell you. So when we're talking about white guilt. There is, especially in the Americas, a slew of very violent events that have happened to our ancestors, those who were enslaved, those who were newly freed, those who fought for our civil rights, and then the modern generation, which is us. So when these events happen, white people respond with white guilt and paired with that white guilt is that defensiveness. So they feel a sense of guilt and then their response is what white tears and then another one of their responses if it ain't uh, flight is fright so the fright is the white tears then you have um the white people that migrate what do they call that when um like white flight there we go it's called white flight so those are all in my opinion different forms of defensiveness that come with white supremacy and you know the perfect example i just thought of one remember the guy who killed all them people up in uh wisconsin at the black lives matter uh really you talking about what's that boy name rittenhouse rittenhouse yeah so rittenhouse went up there killed all these folks with the ar-15 a deadly assault rifle like 
It ain't just no pistol, nothing like that. Like you went out there to kill people. Indeed. Let's be honest. You went to jail and you're crying because you're finna get life sentence, whatever the fuck. Or what you think you finna get. What you thought you were about to get. What you should have got. Right. What you should have got. Right. Exactly. But you're doing all this crying and playing the fucking victim. And trying to justify. Trying to justify. And defend themselves. And you know what my mama tell me? A hit dog gonna holler. Man, what? Come on. That's what I'm saying. Like, that was was a perfect example of defensiveness to me. So, it's just... It's hard. I think you can also see the defensiveness when it comes to like those we identify as Karens as well, mm-hmm. especially Definitely. when they know they wrong mm-hmm. and you address them and then the bitches get to falling out mm-hmm. or they want to explain. I saw this really interesting um, video with this um, Hispanic man. He had moved into a nice area. This uh, hillbilly back with white one man walked his nasty ass up over to his house on his property and got up under his garage and was telling this Hispanic man that he looked uncom- he looked threatening because he had on a hoodie and a black pair of pants. Mm-hmm. And it reminds you of who? Okay, so then um, he's like, um, well, you have no business being here. All right, and one more thing I wanted to say about defensiveness. It's like the white people, they get defensive when they hear the word white privilege because, um, one, they don't believe in it. They believe in it. They trying to brainwash well, us into not believing that, in that's, it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, They get defensive when you say gatekeep. Yep. They don't. They do not want to admit to none. Because it's stuff. an admission of guilt. Right. That's why they react exactly. like that. I'm definitely agreeing with you. Like they think, they think everything is fair. They think black people have what they have. That's not fucking true. Like, how can y'all leave black history out of these um, school children's books? But we got to learn about white history every day. And it ain't even the true white history. Right, right, right. It's stuff that powdered down. Yeah, it's it's stuff that we did that y'all taking credit for. You get what I'm saying? It's way to me. It's way even more than that shit. So like, and then when you call them out on it, what they do? They get defensive. Mm -hmm. And they gonna justify and explain every message away. And they also feel like anytime these huge social media white ones they blow up and they do some foul ass shit Mm -hmm. that's the first go to an explanation and you know some people don't like explanations they see explanations as excuses so that's how I'm gonna take it like um them two white girls they got married from Alabama did you see that on social media they got married at a plantation they had this huge plantation style wedding and then um all the people got mad because they were lesbians and they were supposed to be liberal and on the right side of things so they went down one of the girls twitter feed found over a hundred examples of her saying the n-word like all throughout her childhood and her early adolescent adult life then went down her wife feed and found all the examples of her saying the n-word too and all they want to do is get on the internet and say i'm so sorry that's what i'm saying like it's all a ripple effect, in my opinion. Like, you do the stuff, you don't want to admit to it, it turns into white guilt, and then you start apologizing, and then that it leads into the next thing we're about to talk about, which is quantity over quality. You know what it leads to? When they offend black people, 
and they get on the internet and they apologize, it be other white people uh, forgiving them for the sins yes. that they've been and did towards mm-hmm. us. Like they got the power to be able to say, it's okay. I know you won't do it again. Right. Bitch, that's not your place. But if it was a nigga that did it, they'd be like, hang his ass. Like, well, they hanging did it right now, baby. <laughs> on a school. Man. Okay, so far we've covered the right to comfort, perfectionism, sense of urgency, and right now, today, we're discussing defensiveness. This is a big one, y'all. I cannot emphasize enough, if you say that you care about race and racism and you want to go on in this lifetime, you need to know what it looks like. All of us have to unlearn these things, so we need to know what it looks like, okay? Don't scroll. Per usual, because I know you bitches don't like to read, it's okay, I don't either, don't feel judged. I'm gonna read it for you. Point one, the organizational structure is set up and much energy spent trying to prevent abuse and protect power as it exists, rather than to facilitate the best out of each person or to clarify who has power and how they're expected to use it. Think HR. They do not exist as a means to distribute power amongst the people or to make it clear who has the ability to do what. They exist to protect the power structure as it exists in that organization. I've seen other HR professionals say it so they were blue in the face. I'm going to repeat it. And it's do not think that HR is on your side. They are on the company side for a reason. This goes beyond companies and organizations, though. Don't get confused. Point two, because of either or thinking, criticism of those with power is viewed as threatening or inappropriate. Think rude. This connects back to a lot of the ones we've discussed already. Think right to comfort how people think it's so rude for you to be talking about this right now. It's not the time. How rude for you to comfort this person? Like, you are really doing the most. Point three, people respond to new and challenging ideas with defensiveness, making it very difficult to raise these ideas. We see these manipulation tactics very frequently with gaslighting, dismissing, minimizing, and more. It happens interpersonally, it happens structurally and systemically. It's not new. Point four, this is a big one. A lot of energy in the organization is spent trying to make sure that people's feelings aren't getting hurt or working around defensive people. All right, last but don't, you fucking scroll. I saw you about to do it again. Stop playing in my face like that. Okay, last point. The defensiveness of people in power creates an oppressive culture. Bottom line, and this is what I want the takeaway to be here. Bottom fucking line. When you respond to people bringing up things that are oppressive or racist with defensiveness and your immediate go-to is the attack the person bringing up the thing, you're immediately no. Immediately no. What are you defending? Ask yourself that. What about that, huh? Defensiveness robs you of the ability and the opportunity of growth. Quantity over quality. What are your thoughts? All right, so... um. Quantity over quality, um, to me, that coincides with um, sense of urgency that we talked about earlier. Um, The white people, they want to show that they're being supportive, but again, they don't really know what the hell they're supporting, if that makes sense. And the perfect example that I have of that being a sports major, both my degrees in sports administration, you see all the time. You remember when they were playing um, basketball in the bubble for um, during COVID mm-hmm. in the NBA? Mm-hmm. And guess what the court said? Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, in the NFL, like now they still have it. Um, it. What does it say? Like in one end zone, it says end racism. In the other one, it says it takes all of us to do so. 
what the hell are y'all like y'all got that on y'all's courts and fields but what are y'all doing perpetuating slavery what are y'all doing <laughs> making money off the backs of black that's, lives exactly and that's that's what i mean like this shit is very performative it's oxymoronic it's it's, it's contradictory yes, yes it is because you say this but you're not acting on it you're not practicing what you're preaching that's real now when we're talking about quantity over quality we're talking about things that can be measured and more highly valued mm -hmm. than things that cannot for example, mm -hmm. people attending a meeting, a newsletter, circulation, money spent are valued more than quality of relationships, democratic decision making, or the ability to constructively deal with conflict with little or no value attached to the process of it. When I think of um, quantity over quality, I also think about the Black Lives Matter movement yep. because um, we were in all of our meeting spaces, especially in the South, that's going to be grassroots. So that's churches. So we were all sitting in different churches all throughout America as black people. And who showed up? A handful of white people. Mm -hmm. They did. They was in quantity there were numerous amounts of white people who showed up the question is the people who did show up was the quality of their work was it good was it performative or were they just there to sit down and keep an eye on us like the overseer were they there just to take up space and to take up take the information back to their systemic institutions that oppress or were they trying to find resources so like i feel like that is a great example of um quantity over quality and that remind me of my favorite jay-z quote because you know the homie said hove it ain't many of us i told him less is more nigga is plenty of us i just need one good nigga right and like definitely you talking about this uh handful of white people i don't think they went back to try to go take any information yes i do think it's performative i mean yeah of course i do think that there are some uh good white, white people, people. Yeah, there's some good white people who actually support but think about it a lot of these white people they use they use these black events these uh black rallies and protests for as, social currency i was just gonna say as a photo out mm -hmm. like that's that's where it's messed up and again that is a side effect of capitalism yep. because as we are getting poorer there are going to be different forms of currency and right now social currency is very valuable that's how you can see broke motherfuckers on the internet they ain't got no money but they got clout that's social mm -hmm. currency if i get my bbl and i get my veneers and my titties done that's going to make people think i'm wealthy so that's a form of social currency yep. but back to quantity over quality i think that um i just would rather have a few good soldiers in the room versus like a whole group of people where you don't know where their allegiance lies yep that's another thing okay so one more thing i wanted to say about uh quantity over quality another example i want to give is like Think about these companies that you work for. These companies, they preach uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But honestly, they're really only increasing numbers of people of color for face. Um, and if they are, it ain't for us. Right. It ain't. Right. It's, it's, it's for a statistic for them to make themselves look good. good. Right? They not hiring niggas. They hiring them Asian folks. That too. That too. And so that's what I mean just by like, 
they would rather hire a number of people just to say that they look good rather than hiring these people to truly understand like their plight, what they go through, all that kind of stuff. There's just no understanding when there's this conflict Mm -hmm. between content, like the agenda of meeting and process. People need to be heard or engaged, and this process really will prevail. It's like, for example, like you might get through the agenda, but if you haven't paid attention to people's needs or their need to be heard or the decisions that they've made in the meeting and are being undermined, that's why quantity over quality is such a negative thing and it can impact us. So let's go over some of these antidotes so that we can combat this form of white supremacy. So the first antidote is to include the process of quality goals in your planning, making sure that your organization or you as an individual has your own value statement. I have my own like values and morals that I operate through and I hope white people do too and they ain't just out here you know freestyling and vibing through life you know um make sure your value statement expresses the way in which you want to work um the next the second antidote is to make sure that um that there is a living document and that people are using it in their day-to-day work make sure to look for ways to measure the progress of goals, for example, if you have a goal of inclusivity, think about ways that you can measure it, whether or not you have achieved that goal. And lastly, learn to recognize the times when you need to get off the agenda in order to address people's underlying concerns. So traits like defensiveness and prioritizing quantity over quality perpetuate white supremacy culture because they promote a defensive attitude towards change. And what they do, and they do this by valuing output volume over the impact and the value of the work, which can exclude alternative cultural norms and standards. And this really just reminds me of um, working. Especially like when you first start working, like low paying jobs and stuff, they don't care about how much work you've been put in or how long you've been standing up on your feet. They only care if you done made a thousand burgers and you done did it in a five minute time process before the buzzer turned red. Mm-hmm. You seen them folks at Sonic or at Wendy's when they be working at the fast food joints and stuff. That's a great example of um quantity and quality, mm-hmm. quantity over quality because it is a defensive attitude behind it. If you don't do it in this manner, in this way, motherfuckers get mad. So far, we've covered right to comfort, perfectionism, sense of urgency, and defensiveness. If you want to see those videos, check the playlist. Today, we're going to cover quantity over quality. So catch up, mustards. As always, I know that y'all don't like to read, so I'm going to do it for y'all. And it's okay, bitch. I don't like to read either all the time. So let's get into these points. Point one, all resources of organization are directed towards producing measurable goals. Point one feeds into point two, and that is things that can be measured are more highly valued than things that cannot. For example, numbers of people attending meetings, uh, newsletter circulation, money spent are more highly valuable than quality of relationships, democratic decision making, ability to constructively deal with conflict. 
As someone who's worked in the nonprofit sector like my entire adult life, I can tell you that we only care about deliverables and measurable outcomes. The nonprofit industrial complex is an entirely different series. Like that is a beast in and of itself. But prioritizing these deliverables and prioritizing quantity and expanding outward is a part of white supremacist thinking. Point three, little or no value attached to process. If it can't be measured, it has no value. I'm a social worker. I get paid for the amount of sessions I have as a therapist. I don't get paid for the quality of sessions I do, which is why there's so many shitty fucking therapists out here. My God, don't you fucking scroll because y'all need that reminder. Point four, again, feeding into the other points that we've covered so far, but discomfort with feelings and emotions. When you assess for quality, you actually have to assess and consider the way people feel about things. And that is something that is often detached when it comes to maintaining white supremacist culture. Why is that, you ask? If people had the chance and opportunity to connect and feel with other people around them, there would be a fucking revolution in this country and not in a good way. I also, just to close this out, want to, because I'm not going to read the last point. I want to close this out by saying, like, this ties heavily into perfectionism because when we obsess over numbers, we don't pay attention to the quality of work that it is that we're doing. Not to be shady, but even look at some of the activists that we often platform, right? The celebrity activists, um, the ones who, sure, they can have a lot of likes and stuff on social media, but the quality of work that they do is trash. Um, I'm not going to say no names. Talcum X. Bye, y'all. You can scroll now. Can you provide examples about how the worship of the written word has influenced societal structures and perpetuated systemic inequality? Hmm. Okay, so for the people that don't know, I guess I'm going to put this in my own words. The worship of the written word means the only way of doing things is the way... If it's written down. It's documented. Right. Only yes. if it's documented. So if it's not in a memo, it don't exist. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, this, um, the worship of the written word, that leads to people only having one way to express themselves. And this means making any other kind of idea or perception to something irrelevant. And I feel like that's not inclusive. It's not. It's not at all. Um, When I think about this, when you get to your high level job, like in corporate, for the corporate baddies and such, like what's the first thing they tell you to do when your boss start fucking with you? Write it down. Mm -hmm. I feel like this concept has just now started to come to fruition because black people are just now getting to the place where they're integrating and infiltrating these white spaces like corporate places and stuff like that. So we're just now coming to this place where we are learning how to document shit when people be fucking with us right so um you know on social media people be trying to learn different ways to word, word emails and stuff so that it can come across professional, professional but yep. still get their point mm -hmm. written across or yeah like keep a journal and write down every time your boss or your co-worker fucking with you that's an example of this worship of the written word because if you ain't got the documentation or no paper trail to them it never exists because you don't have no proof Exactly. Exactly. I was just gonna say that too. Um, and I think that like also worship of the written word, it can also act as like a refusal or like a denial to acknowledge info that's shared to them. Um, if I tell you something by mouth, 
like let's let me think for example people they talk about slavery all the time but um it's like they also don't believe that it happened or the way that it was being told that if it ain't no proof it, of it exactly if it wasn't no proof of it um and think about it like this too they take information out of our books too so it's like denial all around what and then when you get back to like the ideas of like book burning when they get to burning Mm -hmm. the word that they worship and then they say that shit never exists because you can't find no sources to cite exactly exactly so that goes back to the eradication of our history Mm -hmm. now I think that you can look at the worship of the written word dually because when I first read it, I thought about the Bible because that's the written word. Mm -hmm. And we know that white culture, especially in America, in a place that was founded off of Christian values and stuff, I think that white people and white supremacy uses this act of worshiping the written word as a way to oppress people. I feel like they use the written word, God's word, Jesus word to categorize people, to demonize people, as well as a way to lift themselves up off of their feet when they feel like they've been intimidated or put in a place where they feel like they're lesser than. Like, of course, we could easily talk about People who are gay, that's Mm -hmm. a great example of worshiping the written word because my God told me that homosexuality was wrong. Then um, I have to denounce you, separate myself from you because I'm better than you. Another example would be uh, fornicating for younger women. The Bible say X, you do Y. So I ain't fucking with this shit. So I feel like that, you know, it's only way it proves that there is only one right way to do shit. Exactly. And if you don't do it the way, oh, and then you can see that in the court systems too. And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of people get fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like you can see that on the TV shows and stuff that there's a belief there's only one right way to do it. And once people are introduced to the right way, they will see the light and they mm-hmm. will adopt it. But it does not come naturally and innately. So like it just, for me, it seems useless. These niggas be going in there talking about all the shit that they buy when they go into the courts. If you ain't got no receipt or no pictures or no proof of nothing you're not gonna get it because they worship the written word exactly so let's talk about some antidotes to combat the worship of the written word and that would be except that there are more than one way to get the same goal done there's many ways to skin a motherfucking cat you hear me um once that group has made a decision about which way that things will be taken under that decision and see that you and the organization or the group of people you're with can learn from taking that way even and especially if it's not the way that you would have chosen um work on developing the ability to notice when people do things a little differently and how those things differentiate ways might improve your approach Um, Never assume that you or your organization knows what's best for the community and isolation, meaning relationships with that community. You can see that shit in that Issa Rae show. Um, What's the original one that's on HBO Max? Insecure. Have you ever watched Insecure before? So, you know, she um, working at a community center during her first two seasons. We got your back. And it's operated and ran by this white woman. And this white woman 
and the whole team is white except for Issa. She's the only black person there from her community, and she is the only voice of reason within this community within her workspace. But they will not listen to her ass, and they coming up with all these whitewashed Eurocentric ideas as a way to help these black folks and it's not reaching because they don't have no sense of community. Exactly. So, yeah. This is a series where I unpack 15 different characteristics of white supremacy. If you say you care about racism and want it gone in this lifetime, you need to know what the fuck it looks like. So far, we've covered right to comfort, perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, and today we're going to be talking about worship of the written word. Don't scroll. Y'all mind if I prop myself in the middle real quick? Um, anyways, I know you bitches don't like to read. It's all right. I ain't judging you. I don't like to read all the time either, so I'm going to read these points for you. Point one, if it's not a memo, it doesn't exist. Everyone who works within the United States is quite familiar with this one. If you do not get it documented, they can always go back and say it did not fucking happen. I have personally been promised a raise as a social worker and had that same raise taken away because they said I did not get it in writing. Yeah, it's white supremacy. Point two, the organization does not take into account or value other ways in which information can be shared. A lot of communities of color share histories and information orally, for example, and it's not an emphasis on the written word. It specifically ostracizes any other way that people disseminate and share information. To sum up point three, because I ain't reading all of that, you are more valued if you are the type of person who has written skills or these skills that, again, are valued under white supremacy. Do not scroll. You are doing very good. Be fucking for real. Okay, these next two points bleed into each other. That there's only one right way to do things and that people don't know the right way to do things and they'll be okay with it once they're introduced to it. I want us to think for this example of politicians who often utilize the written word of the Constitution and being true to the written word that was written hundreds of years ago by motherfuckers who was barely even washing their ass right. Sorry. To validate and justify their white supremacist policies that often hurt and harm marginalized communities and doing it all under the guise that this is the right way to do things. This next point, when people refuse to adapt and change to the ways that are the right way to do it, there's something wrong with the person who's not, who's not adapting. Again, why are you being so rude, disrespectful? Why are you doing all of these things? You just can't get it right. If you ain't understand what I'm talking about, you ain't watch the other videos. Watch the goddamn videos. I want to close out by making it very clear that these different aspects of white supremacy are designed to move around. The goalpost is designed to move. That's how they gaslight us out of questioning the way that things are. Also, this is not white supremacy. If you have any feedback, it doesn't have to all be positive. Please feel free to leave it below. Um, yeah. Perk, you can scroll now. Now, when we're talking about the written word, I think a great example of this and how it can still go awry um, is when we think about the professor that recently committed suicide. Uh, that's crazy. Also, real quick, did y'all hear about um, Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey? She was the vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University in Missouri. Killed herself after reporting that she was getting bullied in the I job. Seen, I seen that. Yup, grown ass lady, like she about 40, 50. You know, you can't tell with us. She could be 30, 40, or 50, but she killed herself. She committed suicide Dang. as a white man, President Mosley. Um, and she was complaining about him, bullying her, harassing her. Yeah, and she killed herself. I think that's terrible. 
Damn. I think something should be done, um, especially when you complain. I hate when y'all get on the internet and say, well, why would she do that? Why would she like, nah, you don't know where people be black, at. And black women, y'all, like, that's a, because it's more y'all too, I feel like, in the um, professional work field. And, you know, being a woman, you're going to get the bullshit end of the stick anyway. Mm-hmm. Black women always talk about that, how y'all get treated in the work world. Yeah, so. especially when it's, it's not, not a lot it's of not y'all. It's not new. It's just the way you feel she was at her breaking point. Right. And that's the thing. I hate when you people put themselves on other people. You might can handle that. Mm-hmm. You might can deal with that. I deal with that all the time. People just assume I'm this super strong person. If you're not close to me, you wouldn't know how soft I was. Phelps, mm-hmm. I'm soft as shit. Mm-hmm. You can hurt my feelings. I be deeply hurt yeah. by shit. So it's like... You know, I don't know. Mental health is for real. The rates of black people committing committing suicide are huge right now, especially black men. Check on your people, bro. Tap in with your people. If they don't answer, knock on the door. Just to give a hug, bring a bag of food. You know, let a motherfucker know. I know you ain't answer. You're not there for social shit. And I ain't trying to force it on you. But here, go and get well, bag. I hope you feel better, especially when you know yeah. your friend. Half of y'all too busy worrying about it, something that you did. And ain't nothing but guilt. Yeah. Or why you treating me like that? Me Bitch, like I that. haven't spoke to a human in three days. Word. I'm not treating you like anything. I'm not ignoring your call. I'm ignoring the phone. Word. Yeah. But, but that's the problem. I love it about Phelps. Phelps know I be going through my going through. He can't find me too much. He tap in. I'm mm. around here if you want to smoke a L. Yeah. Simple. I want to say it was on the 9th of January. So this was recently. Um, there was a, a professor working at an HBCU and her supervisor was a white man. The provost, the president of this HBCU was a white man. He had been bullying her for a long time. And what did she do? She resided in white supremacy and she started taking documentation of what was going on. She emailed the board. She emailed the university. She emailed um, the president of that university. And um, the day that she killed herself, she emailed the university and asked for a day off. She did what she was supposed to do. They said that if it, um, you know, they couldn't find nothing within their written word that would constitute her to have a day off at all whatsoever. This ain't no young spring chicken. This lady was like in her late 40s. And she went home that night and she killed herself because of the bullying that she went through. All the yes need to be fired. They are. They got the president right now. I want to say on academic leave, but number one, they show you why you need the gatekeep because there shouldn't be no white mm-hmm. president over no goddamn damn HBCU nowhere in America. Number two, that shows you that even when you operate in those traits of white supremacy, it can still fail you. That lady killed herself and she was doing what everybody would consider everything right. Documenting, emailing. She telling her husband, her boss, and her boss's boss. And it's still ended in her death, which is why we need to dismantle those systems because they're broken. They're not working, especially for people and women of color. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I've got a lot of thoughts about the passing of Dr. Claudia Bailey, the black woman administrator who took her own life out of Lincoln University um, after nonstop bullying and harassment at work. Now, As a former higher ed administrator myself, I've worked in both academic affairs and student affairs. My last position as an administrator was actually as an assistant vice president in campus life at Brown University. And I will say this, one, I hope Dr. Um, Bailey is resting in peace. I hope her soul, and I truly mean this, has been able to find peace by releasing the hold that institution had on her body, her mind, and her soul while she was living on this plane. But two, 
this to me is another grave example of the violence of these systems and how these systems, these institutions are doing exactly what they are meant to do. Education's function is to discipline the body, is to discipline the body by controlling and disciplining the mind to only think in terms of binaries and only to think in terms of methodologies and logics that align with the current power structure. And when your body is both a commodity of that structure, yet is within that structure's grasp, the way that it functions then and how it enacts its violence, especially on black bodies, black women's bodies, black queer bodies, is that it will literally embed and infest itself to the point where you do want to take your life because you have no life within the halls and walls of these institutional spaces. All they know how to do is consume from you because the floor will always move. It will always need to extract your labor. It will always need to extract everything it can from you while also gaslighting you the whole time so that you feel like you have to always give more in order to maybe be seen as. And what does that do? It kills us. It literally steals our life. When I was in campus life, I hated every minute of it because I realized that not only was I set up, I had been set up by the institution, but I had set myself up thinking that if I did it differently, that somehow I could make it work. I was not special. None of us are special. These spaces know what to do. It knows how to consume and take from us. So then the question becomes, do we believe that that is its function? Do we believe the violence that will always ensue from its coffers? And if we believe that, how then do we move differently? Because these spaces have no ability to see us, especially as black women, black queer folks. So let's stop giving our lives to it because it will gladly take it. We must refuse and refusal means we must leave these guys. The next question reads, how can recognizing and understanding these characteristics contribute to ongoing conversations surrounding racial equality and social change? Now, I want to take y'all niggas back, man, to, I want to say... 2020. I got inspired. I got invited by um the student association here on campus to come speak at my first Black History um month program, and it was a panel. And I was one of a few Black people there, one of a few historian students there, et cetera, et cetera. And um having conversations like these with white people, it's eerie. Mm -hmm. It's not a good feeling. So number one. When universities throw these types of conversations, they're meant to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about DEI this whole episode. So they cannot get what I would consider the true white people. That's like the frat boys, mm -hmm. the sorority girls right. who live in their white bubble. And they're never in any place that does not exclude it like, like ooze money. Right. I was just going to say that. So they, um, I never see them. The people who come out to stuff like this are uh, white Christian organizations. Mm -hmm. So they'll show up. But again, it goes to quality, quantity over quality. Mm -hmm. They'll show up, but they won't say nothing. So I'm sitting in front of this huge group of uh, white people because it is essay. And I'm telling them, I'm speaking them 
my truth. I'm denouncing white racism. I'm talking about dismantling white supremacy. I'm telling these niggas that they wrong. And I probably did the best because I'm an excellent orator. I know this for myself. And them jokers was so, it's like they was mad at me. And I'm like, like, I'm talking about only one person came up to me after this whole ordeal. And I had notes. I was the only one that brought my own laptop, brought my own notes, spoke well. And I wasn't acting foolish, you know. But um, it was just awkward because they have nothing to say. And they also are not used to being in environments that make them feel uncomfortable. And that's really what they need more of. If you are not feeling uncomfortable, you are not growing as an individual. Exactly. You got to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations. And that goes for anything, for sure. I, I'm, of the, I'm of the mindset right now in my life where I don't want to continue educating white people. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to educate other minorities outside of black people. I don't feel like that's my job. God didn't call me to that ministry. Um I feel like it's up to white people to do their own research. Do their own damn research. Yes. And I think that moreover White people, like, they're lazy when it comes to doing it. They don't know where to start. And, you know, white people will Google the fuck out of anything but white supremacy and white mm-hmm. racism. So they don't they don't know how to get on. Google don't work for those features. Right. Sure don't. So, like, what do you think? Like, how can we recognize and understand? Like, how can we point out these characteristics when we going out? I really, me personally, I just call it when I see it. And I think, I'm going to be honest with you, it starts just with that, like with recognizing and understanding, which a lot of people don't do. Like, okay, they may see, okay, surface level that there's racism, but recognize what exactly is happening. Yeah. Recognizing what exactly is happening. What are we feeling? Understand what we're talking about and what we're feeling. Um, that go with building your vocabulary as a whole. That too, that too. That's like even what you said. Do your own damn research. Like I shouldn't be having to explain my fucking self every day, you know, about what I'm going through. I can't stand a devil advocate as yes, white person. Exactly. That right there that defeats the purpose. If you gonna go into those environments, just go in there willing to listen mm-hmm. and willing to change. And um, you know, I think that we're also past this phrase where they like trust black women because recently in the news a lot of black women have been coming up fucked up. And like, but when a black woman is speaking, especially a black woman within the intersection, so that means that uh, she's Islamic, she's plus size, she's trans, she's gay, lesbian, any part of the intersection, she's dark skinned, bald headed, got counsel, whatever. Listen to her experiences because they're authentic. Of course. I also think it's important that we focus on like getting outside of those echo chambers. Like, when we think about white supremacy, the only thing we really think about is the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. We don't never think about the white citizens' councils. We never think about the white knights, the neo-Nazis, the, what's the bald-headed ones that be in jail, the, um... I know you're talking about. They some scallywags. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like you have to think it's not 
anyone anyone can perpetuate white supremacy and that's something even you and it's not like when it comes to like white supremacy and white privilege it's not something that you can just take off and hand to a motherfucker like hell i don't want this shit no more like it's something that you have to live with but you have to keep in mind and you're not the and i think white people don't understand they're not the only ones being mindful around this motherfucker i'm a light-skinned woman and it comes with privilege i understand that so when i'm listening to dark-skinned women talk about their experiences i don't try to correct them i don't try to justify myself as a light-skinned woman or speak on behalf of other light-skinned women i try to understand and empathize with them and try to make their burden lesser and I feel like that's something. So when we're talking about those echo chambers, we're talking about the uh, the gaming chats, the TikTok, Twitter, Twitch community, where all of the information that you're consuming, it sounds the same. And because you're regularly hearing it, it's confirming your bias. It's mm-hmm. a confirmation bias. So you're constantly hearing it. You're believing it. And you know, whatever a man hears, so is he. Like, it's in your spirit. You got to break away. Like, if you starting to realize that the people around you saying the same shit, you should want to hear some new shit. That's like that's real. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What actionable steps can individuals and communities take to address and dismantle these persuasive and pervasive traits of white supremacy? Um, honestly, I think, you know, protests are fine. Um, any kind of uh strikes that y'all take, those are fine. But I think before you do those, um, you need to have a talk, like a talk about, okay, what are we striking? What are we protesting? What is, what's the purpose? What are we feeling? What is, what are we trying to get out of this? Because I also do feel like there's, there's a way of doing stuff that's more um, effective. Um, Modern too. Yeah, definitely that. Um So um, I feel like the first step a person should take should be educating themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like you should be, number one, you should never be speaking on nothing that you don't know nothing about. So like, especially like, because they don't allow diversity, equity, inclusion classes in like high school and stuff. Number one, we need to be focusing on educating the children before they even get to college. You need to be putting them within spaces that cater, uplift them, and educate them on topics like this. And you need to be the one to curate and create them or be looking for different programs to join to bring them down here to Mississippi. Um, Secondly, when it comes to um, the Cracker Jacks, I need y'all when y'all do get to colleges and I need more of y'all to sign up for race-based classes and I need you to actually have a genuine liking and be open to learning. Um, Number one, because I went to school for history, I didn't see a lot of white people. Then on top of that, the white people I did see, they were the same white people. 
Yes. And then um, they never show up to class. And then on top of that, I've been seeing a lot of videos of like people saying when they in these universities, they turn in a material liberal, but they still have a conservative mindset. So they have a reprobate mind. They don't want to change. But I do want to encourage you to be open minded, to listen to the things that other minority communities have to say for the other minorities. Y'all motherfuckers is too silent. It's always one or two Asians in the back of those classes. You never even know their name at the end of the year. They don't speak up, and they go through a lot of shit. White supremacy affects them too, but they act like it don't exist. And baby, let me tell you something. That, um, that motherfucking... That COVID shit show Asian people that white supremacy exists. These build that wall, all that, kick them out the country. That show Hispanic people. So if you don't have no empathy for the people of on your own race, ain't nobody gonna have no empathy for you. So that's again goes back to educating yourself, getting outside of those, getting from out under those echo chambers, and you know. Just doing something different. Be open-minded and put yourself in the shoes of other people. Practice empathy. Exactly. And that's another thing I think is crazy too. Like you talking about uh, how white people they get so mad at, let's say, Hispanics or Asians, whatever. These people help build y'all fucking country, baby. People like niggas, niggas built this shit. If there's a wall to be built, it's gonna be Hispanics up there building, motherfucker. It'll be up in two days. Okay, how about y'all go out there and pick oranges on the field for a less than a fucking dollar a day? Like, good. How about you take care of your own fucking kids? How about that? Ooh. 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 Throw them in the tub, good, and actually tell them how to wash their ass. <laughs> That's what you need to do. These crackers, they complain so fucking much. But like, shit, if anything, we helping you. That's why I said I'm done. That's what I'm saying. I'm done educating. I'm I'm so done educating white people. I they don't realize what they got. No, they don't. No, they don't. And when they see me, they already assume I don't know nothing. Mm-hmm. And then when I open my mouth up, you learn that I know more than you do. And you shocked. And then you hate it. So you don't want to listen. And this, I'm not putting myself in no position to be sitting up here arguing with no dummies and no white supremacists. The fuck I look like. Right, exactly. Don't realize what you got. And then, like, you just, you act so, you just act so blind to shit. Like, you, you're you never appreciative. Never appreciative. Like, nothing is ever good enough for you. That's that perfectionism. Exactly. And that's, that's what I'm saying. All of this shit coincides. Yes, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, that shows you how normalized it is. But like James Baldwin said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you start noticing it, you can't go back to it. And once it starts seeping into your spirit, it'll make you angry. Because this is shit you can't do nothing about. 
Shout out to the slaves. Yeah, shout out to the slaves. You feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. That shout was out to my bitch. A real nigga. Shout out to the Mississippi niggas. Yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out, out to the Mississippi niggas. niggas. Yeah, big penitentiary tractor dra- dragging ass niggas. niggas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Want to whisper? And they don't talk loud. They whisper. Dangerous niggas whisper. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time. Shout out LGBTQ. You are obsessed and sick. And we are back with the big black shout out, the biggest blackest shout out in the world. For those who do not know, the big black shout out is an opportunity to help circulate the black dollar back into our communities, as well as for audience members to explore black owned hidden gems. So, Riss, who would you like to shout out today? First of all, I want to say thank you for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I gained a lot of insight while talking to you. Um, the first person that I really want to give a big black shout out to is Cat Oliga and the Dirty South Apparel. Um, that's an apparel company back in Atlanta. They got some fire shit. Like y'all tap in. What they say up in there? Man, I got all the sweatsuits, shirts, beanies. Like I got everything. Y'all gotta go see it on my page. Oh, they got plus size then. Yeah, that's nice. For sure, for sure. And their Instagram handle is at the Dirty South Apparel. So y'all make sure to go follow them. The second person, this um this is actually uh an organization that I want to shout out. It's called the More Than Numbers Youth Program. Um, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps high school students with educational disparities receive resources and mentorship to go to college. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's very beautiful. I love that. Um, so what the little kids be doing? Shoot, getting scholarships. Money. Oh, they get into that money on. Yeah, they get into that money. Oh, that turkey, that chicken. <laughs> yeah, they... Um, their staff there, they help them find a lot of scholarships um, and resources. So I think that's a really good thing because a lot of these kids are first generation college students. As am I. Yep. So yeah, they really get the help that they need. Um, so their Instagram handle is at MTN Youth Program. So more than numbers youth program. And last but not least, I want to shout out my fucking self. Yes, as you motherfucker should. <laughs> Shout out to me. <laughs> shout out to the bitches. I want to shout out myself. Um, I, I, if if you know me, you know from a very early age, I've been wanting to get some money, help the people. And what, what other, what other thing do people in Atlanta do besides eat, scam, scam, smoke hookah, smoke hookah, and have parties. That's real. What do y'all so, niggas do? So. <laughs> Exactly. Literally everybody everybody an influencer. So shit. Anyway, uh, I wanna shout out myself, uh cook by wrist, any catering needs that y'all want. What? what? When I tell y'all motherfuckers wrist can cook her ass off. Dog, I forgot your ass, man. Y'all uh wrist be making that rasta pasta. <laughs> I'm still open to like any catering needs y'all need please y'all folks hit me up um that instagram is at cooked by wrist r-i-s-s um and then last but not least like it's my graphics page i am a graphic designer as well freelance graphic designer again y'all folks in atlanta wherever you at honestly y'all know y'all like the party y'all have events so make sure y'all come to me get y'all flyers done logos any kind of marketing material that y'all need i got you 
Um, so you telling me next Black History Month you can hook me up with the poster with Martin Luther King holding yeah. a deuce saying in the henny. Yeah. Oh, I like that. You know I like that. And a fat-ass 4PL <laughs> 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 I love y'all niggas. Y'all so creative. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, my graphics page is it's at graphics by race, but it's spelled G-F-X by race. Remember, it's R-I-S-S, graphics virus. Yes, because some of you niggas are illiterate. <laughs> but yeah, those are my big black shout outs. Yes. Oh, special shout out to all of the black business owners, the black creators, the black entrepreneurs, the black everything. Happy Black History Month, man. Now, if you or somebody else you know has a business and you would like to have a shout out, make sure you are reaching out to me at the Afrocentric Podcast. That's afrocentricpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, shout out to the scammers. Shout out to the scammers. What? Half off lights? Call me. I need some shit. I just want to say that this has been an amazing conversation. Um, the subtle art of dismantling white supremacy risk. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to educate the people, to share your experiences, as well as some of your family knowledge, as well as just providing more background about white supremacy and the characteristics of white supremacy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Now, before I let you go, is there anything that you want to tell the black community? Black community. Stay up, stay positive. Um, I love y'all. I love being black. Um, y'all niggas stand up, stand on business, and happy Black History Month, niggas. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> yes. So I just want to thank you guys. Thank you so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. Please remember that Black Lives Matter. Make sure to listen and protect Black women and children. And the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is be Black and die. Hello. So here at the Afrocentric Podcast, I just wanted to remind you that we are civilized people having civilized conversations. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye. A question. When you look at the inequalities in America, in education, you know, home ownership, employment and wealth, health care, can you admit that there, America is systemically and structurally a racist country? I think culture has a lot to do with it, mm-hmm. right? But it's more of, if you look at that, how do you fix it? Because right? when you say all men are created equal, no, they weren't, because we were labeled three-fifths of a human. <laughs> Black so, people were. Right, and we made that wrong right. Mm-hmm. And we've got some more rights we have to do. But this so, is... So systemically and structurally, do you think America has is racist? Not not the people, not not everybody in America. I don't think America's racist. I think we have racism in America. And, and I think and I think we have cultural issues. But let me explain where okay. I am. So first of all, I grew up in a town of twenty five hundred two stoplights. We were the only Indian family in that small southern town. We weren't white enough to be white. We weren't black enough to be black. Mm-hmm. They didn't know who we were, what we were, or why we were there. In that rural town, we didn't know what we didn't have. And so people just survived. I now have a education foundation in South Carolina where we do after school programs in all rural challenged areas because you've got to give extra support to those areas that don't have. 
the goal is not what the circumstances are. How do you pull people out of those circumstances and lift them up? Well, you can't hear what you don't reveal. So you have to acknowledge the, you know, the, his, the, his, the history of this You country. have to acknowledge that these things are happening, and how are you going to fix it? Absolutely. Now, I wonder, why can't politicians, Democrat and Republican, because we've all heard, we've heard you say America's never been a racist country. We've heard the vice president say that before. We've heard... OG Jim Clyburn say that before. We've heard Tim Scott say that before. Why can't Democrats and Republicans just be honest and tell people, hey, we can't have honest conversations about racism in this country because it's not a good electoral strategy? I mean, that's not why I do it. That's why. No. That's why everybody does it. I have talked about, look, I have talked about racism as it affected me and how we need to get past it. I mean, keep it. You, you can't talk about it and say America's never been a racist. You can't say America's never been a racist country, but then talk about the racism you experienced. There is racism in our country. Mm-hmm. I don't think that our country was founded to be racist. I don't. I think that it was meant to be this amazing experiment to see if we could have freedom and democracy in a way that all men are created equal. But if you didn't we look at are all not men, there yet. But if you didn't look at all men as equal from the beginning, then the, the ideology is flawed. But why do you want kids to hear that they live in a racist country? Why can't you tell kids, look, we're not perfect and we have some more things to fix? I just, I don't want any child to think like that. I don't want any child to believe that they're disadvantaged from the second they're born. I didn't want to feel that. I don't think it's a disadvantage. I think if you tell somebody, I think if you tell somebody it's cold outside, you just, that just makes them put on a coat. No, it makes them it makes them know what it's going to feel like before they even get outside. I don't mm-hmm. want kids to feel that. But they got to know the truth too. You yeah, know, they have to they have know the truth. You know, like I have two two black sons, and they have to understand what they're facing when they go out to this world. It's not going to be the same as, let's say, my neighbor or a classmate. It's going to be the same. And the, the same thing with you. you. I just it's my mentality that I want everybody to know we all have a job to do, and that's to fix this country. And we never stop doing it. We have racism. And it's terrible. I've felt it. Y'all felt it. A lot of people have felt it. But are we not going to fight every day to make sure that we stomp it out wherever we see it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want kids being raised to think that they're never going to get past it. 